When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'll have him on again. Woke up this morning. Welcome to the family with I'm not Tevin Pittman. Co host, Catherine Brandt. Andy Brandt Bernard. Mike Bryant. Did you just introduce yourself as Jesus oh, Christ? No, I just, Special guest on the show. <laughs> Jesus no. Christ. The, the loud it's headphones. Time. Whoever puts these things on, that would be LA they Nick. are friggin' deaf. He sits LA down Nick. there. That's where he got them from, is over there. Uh, oh my God, are these loud. Oh, yeah. LA Nick can turn up the like wall. My head just blows up. Well, he, was a, he was a drummer off. for a long right. time. He's probably yeah. half deaf. So it's Jesus mm-hmm. Christ from Bradshaw and Christ. No, no, <laughs> Bradshaw and Christ. No, no, no. Come I did along. not introduce myself as Jesus. I saw no. my bill and I said, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Like Alec right Baldwin in that movie. Alec Baldwin, I like yeah, that. In that movie where he proclaimed himself God, he was yes. a doctor. In the, oh God, I think it was a head injury movie, I think, is where I that was. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. He, he, he did. He said he was God. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back, kick off things with the family. Want to do a live one? We can. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Brad, John Bryant. Hey, how are we this morning? Uh, let's see. We were out on the road. You and I were both out on the road today. We were. And we saw, what, three drivers that were on the phone as they were driving along. <laughs> Couple oh, of yeah. people speeding. There was a guy. Um, what was he doing? Changing lanes while while looking at his phone. Yeah, he, he coming he up on construction. Lanes. We had the <laughs> truck stopping in front of us, changing lanes while looking at the phone. God, so unbelievable! It is dangerous. You should not be on your phone. It's against the law. Slow down. Be safe. Especially with weather changing. This is the worst time of year for that because of you'll get frozen frozen temperatures overnight. Then it'll melt, and then you'll get a freeze again, and people will be going too fast and be oh, flying yeah. around. So, in fact, because the, the sun's in a different position, man, that sun's in your eyes a lot in the early morning and the late evening. Absolutely. That's another thing, driving, th- uh, driving through an intersection because you yep. can't see. Can't see. It's like, might as well close sure. my eyes and see what happens. <laughs> so, <laughs> from there. Be safe, and if you need help, call Bradshaw and Bryant. Or Jesus. You can call no, Jesus. I did not. Stop that. <laughs> I did not. I did not. Cut the comedy. I did so not. you're saying it's Devin's fault? Don't put that on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> Ricky Bobby. Ricky Bobby. Jeez, there's a reference. I love that show. We, it, that movie. It, yeah, I can understand. <laughs> we will be right back. Tommy. How long have you been at KQ? 36 years now. Wow, that's loyalty. Well, if I'm completely honest, it isn't the company that I'm loyal to. It's the listeners. I figured out a long time ago they're the only reason I have a job. Why are you asking? Well, we had another great month at Coon Rapids Nissan and Burnsville Nissan. In fact, Burnsville continues to be the number one Nissan store in Minnesota. The loyalty part. Get to the loyalty part. Oh, yeah. This month, if you buy or lease a new Rogue or a Pathfinder from us, we'll give you an extra 500 off as long as you own or are leasing a Nissan. That is cool. 
Do they have to trade it? Nope. It's just a reward for being loyal. By the way, the new Pathfinder is fantastic. It's got a nine-speed transmission, and JLo says it'll practically pull the building. We also cut a deal with our good buddy Charlie Swenson, who's running a Nissan store in Chicago. He gave us some extra rogues. Because Charlie's such a nice guy. Well, Paul might have threatened him. Sounds like Paul. For details, go to Walzer Nissan or Coon Rapids Nissan and claim your loyalty gift. Tommy, give him some Elvis loyalty. Thank you. Thank you very much. And we are back with Stretch's Picks. You know, Tom, uh, there's a lot of analysis that goes into these picks. Yeah. And uh, I highly recommend betting, of course. I always recommend betting. Yeah, absolutely. So who's winning this thing? The kitties, the pack, the bears, or the purple? None of the above. Those are all the teams in the division. I know that. Well, who's your pick? I'm going with Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. What? It's not a football team. I know, but it's a hell of an HVAC company. They do the most thorough system tune-up in the industry. Sabre is one of the largest Bryant dealers in the state, which means you save. Yep, I'm going with Sabre, Sabre and Bryant, doing whatever it takes to keep you comfortable. It's also the smartest time to call and schedule your furnace tune-up with Sabre. Get the most thorough tune-up in the industry from the people who keep my home comfortable. Oh, uh, one more thing, Tom. What's that? Visit SabreHeating.com. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this is an interesting story. I haven't read this story. I just saw the headline, and I don't know what it's all about. But I, it just, by coincidence, it has the lowest-rated network television personality mm. as part of the story. That would be that uh, Brian Stelter. Oh God! He literally has less than a hundred thousand viewers. There's something, wow. there's something about his oh. grin that just oh, I know. has annoying. always made me just want to cry. Oh, he's like, the one that looks like me, or, or is the same age as me, but he looks like he's in 70. his 40s. Oh, yeah. He just has this gr- grin that I don't even know what to say about it. But anyway, former New York Times journalist Barry Weiss, that uh, she's a... Uh, you know, if you saw her, you'd, you'd know what she looked like. You remember my package, Alex? Weiss. I sure did. Thank God. Is it in the car? What? Is it in the car? No, it's right here. Oh, thank you. Former New York Times journalist Barry Weiss confronted CNN's Brian Stelter about his network's coverage of the COVID-19 lab leak theory when listing examples of why the world has gone mad during Sunday's edition of the Reliable Sources. Weiss has uh, written that many Americans feel the world has gone mad, so the left-wing CNN host asked her what she meant by, what do you mean by that comment? Where can I start? Well, when you've uh, the chief uh, reporter on the beat of COVID for the New York Times talking about how questioning or pursuing the question of the lab leak is racist, the world has gone mad. When you're not able to say out loud in public there are differences between men and women, the world has gone mad. When we're not allowed to acknowledge that rioting is rioting and it is bad and that silence is not violence, but violence is violence, the world has gone mad, Weiss says. When you're not able to say the Hunter Biden laptop is a story worth pursuing, the world has gone mad. When in the game of progress, young school children, uh, name of progress, of course, excuse me, young school children as young as kindergarten are being separated in public schools because of their race, and that is called progress instead of segregation. The world has gone mad. There are dozens of examples, and she blames it all on CNN. Oh, dear. <laughs> She's on CNN at the time. Mm. 
I that's kind of odd for her though. She's not usually because she's not some like far left nut. I mean, she's a New York Times reporter. She's very liberal herself, but she's got many many points. I think you're absolutely right about. I think she's got a lot of good points. She does. The fact that you you and the fact that Terry McAuliffe would say something like, "The parents don't get a, a vote; only the teachers do." Like, why would you say that? I don't get that. Do you get that? Why you would say that? Yeah. Why you're would you say why? that? People are power hungry. Well, there is that. <laughs> well, it all started when because you first fish like, got out of the ocean. <laughs> You're two boys. You kind of wanted to make some decisions of what they learned, didn't you? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. So why he would say that, I just I'll never understand. Why? No, you know, mom and I don't get an opinion, but Andy and Alice's teachers do. It's like what? Very odd. Aren't we all in this together? Well, the, thing that, used to be. the thing that sucks about that is peop- the only people that have school choices are people that have enough money to send their kids to a private school. Right. Because that's, that's true. your only choice. Well, there's also charter schools, but charter schools are basically a lot of uh, a lot of dirty little secrets in inner city areas. Because yeah. well, not inner city, I shouldn't say. Like South Minneapolis. The wealthier parts of South Minneapolis have a ton of charter schools because the, the parents get together right. and put together mm-hmm. charter schools, and that's all funded by taxpayer money. But then they get to say, my kid goes to public school, even though it's a private little right. charter school. <coughs> right, so, that's and, true. Yeah, so Good unless point. you've got you know really engaged parents that know how to do this kind of stuff, and it's not an easy thing to get money for a charter school, uh, you don't have a lot of ch- school choice. So, no, you don't. What are you going to do? I mean, you're not. How many parents are going to go in mar- marching into an inner city school saying, "I want this, I want that"? A lot of times, people just don't feel like they have any power. Speaking of marching into the inner city, I was proud to call Michael Bryant my friend today. Yeah. Unlike ninety-nine percent of people I've ever worked with or met since I, I've grown older. Michael is the first one that would go to North Minneapolis and eat uh, breakfast with me at Mildred's. I actually suggested it. You yeah. did? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah to Mildred's? Oh, my God, nice. that place is great. Yeah, we tried to go to, what? Um, what's the name of that place? Um, no, Emily's. Emily's, but they had road construction in their clothes. Oh, oh Emily's. Yeah. yeah, and they love him there. Yeah. The Benincasa family. Oh, they're yeah. wonderful there. Yep. And then, uh, but we went to Mildred's as where was our second choice, which we were confirmed the Mildred's had indeed moved. They moved oh. one block, man, one when block. I was a little oh. kid years ago. Yeah. Yeah, they moved 20 years ago for 56 years. They were, in other words, since before I was born, they were one block further west. It was like the guys from the Muppets as we were driving around. <laughs> and there was the school, and there was where they lived, and Kid Can lived over there. Well, I showed them where Kid Can's house was yeah. with the old gangster back in the day. Dad stomped off the morning show again. I did not stomp <laughs> off the morning show. I couldn't get off the morning show. Fire somebody again today. Time. Always well, I'm going to have to tell people what happened. Thank right. you so much. People want to know this is important information yeah. so inside scoop i'm yeah. sitting here this morning we'll get it here, Tom Bernard podcast. i'm sitting here this morning in the studio and tony lee calls me and goes we got a problem i said what's the problem he goes printer's down i said well i need the printer otherwise i can't do the show and he goes well the printer's down i said well remember we talked about this two weeks ago getting it fixed yeah well it never got fixed i said well how about the backup oh yeah that's not going to work either i said why isn't the backup going to work uh, we forgot to put toner in it. Whoops. Well, can't they put How do you they, printer, couldn't they put toner in there then? Yeah, doesn't that, that takes like 10 seconds? Drum and you put another drum in it. He also, said there wasn't another drum. And also, when like the toner's like out, you just take it out, you shake it, you put it, back, put it back in, and it prints a 
prints it out yeah, just fine. There's the, there's there's the fix. fix. Right. Yeah. The first time, I'll take yeah. it out and shake yeah. it. Right. No, but if these are files, how? why do they have to go through printing it and then faxing it to them? It seems to me that there's easier ways to do that in mm-hmm. today's modern age, or at least there were easier ways to do it 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, why couldn't they just scan the copy to your computer? I, that question was asked, too. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I just uh, they said... Well, we'll just, uh, you know, we'll muddle through. I'm not muddling through. You people need to get this stuff taken care of. Either got somebody who's pissed off at the top of their lungs, or they're not doing the right thing, or they forgot to tell their replacement what to do. Every day there's a problem. I don't think I'm going to last much longer in that show. I really don't. Uh Uh-oh. I really don't think I'm going to last much longer. They're driving me insane. And the management will do nothing about it. And it's well, seen, maybe you need some negotiation tactics courtesy from Mickey? of Mickey Bergman. <laughs> Mickey. It's Tom Bernard. Hello. Mickey, is there any way I can get you to shoot somebody for me? Come on. <laughs> it's not, it's the not kind that of, kind of Mickey. <laughs> it's not that no. kind of negotiation. That was last, different that was last kind week's of negotiator. <laughs> yeah, that was the... <laughs> no, Mickey, you got to forgive me because I just ate breakfast with, with uh, <laughs> Michael Bryant is on here as our attorney. And uh, I was in my old neighborhood, so I saw a lot of guys get shot. That's why it was in my head. So no, sorry about not that. Today. Not today. No, not today. <laughs> Over time, not today, Mickey. We did collections today. <laughs> so, Mickey, welcome with an open heart and, and a loving heart for, on this end. Mickey Bergman, how are you, sir? I'm doing very well. Thank you for uh, for bringing me on, even though you first thing you asked me is to shoot somebody. <laughs> yeah, that's a little odd intro. Mm-hmm. I'll give you that. Mickey, you handle it well, though. You handle it really well. Pulling from more uh, directly from more than 15 years of experience negotiating high-pressure situations around the world, Mickey will bring his wisdom and expertise to the mainstream and can give your viewers and readership and listeners, of course, uh, tips on how to incorporate negotiation tactics into your everyday life, including... Now, I want to stop there because I want to hear the, the tips directly from you because the best negotiation tactics, again, going back to the neighborhood where Michael and I just had breakfast, there were some... Some suggestions on how uh, a negotiation tactic, in other words, leave me alone or you've had it. That was their good negotiating tactic over there. Either do what I tell you or there's going to be harm done. Is that a good negotiating tactic, Mickey? I'm I'm guessing not. Probably not. (laughs) Well, it depends what you're going for, but (laughs) I I would say it's even more important depends on who you actually, what your personality is like. Um, uh, because I, I, I would say one of the biggest things, and I, I, I've been it for a while, you know, big-time negotiators uh, and great ones, they often write books about how to negotiate. Yeah, yeah, and, they do. And they give seminars, and, and it's fantastic. And they're actually very interesting, and they're very good. And if you listen to them, and you go, and you read the book, and you see the seminar, and you're like, oh, my God, you follow everything, they're going to teach you how to be the best damn negotiator <laughs> if you are them. <laughs> if you are them, and that's the point. But we're, but we're not them. We're not them. And, right. and I, I, look, I wish, I wish I had a tough personality, like a bully-like negotiator, because it looks like so, so much fun to do it. But it's just not me personally. And if I try to fake it, oh my god, everybody sees it. They can, um, yeah, that's a good point. But, yeah, but but but, he, but here's the thing about it: there's really no good or bad personalities for negoti- for negotiations. In fact. The, the diversity of personalities in the negotiating team is one of its strengths. Um, I, for one, for example, I don't have a poker face. Like if I go, if I play poker, I'm going to lose my money, uh, and, and I know that. And that's the important thing. Like you, need, you need to learn something about yourself. I, I can't act tough. I can't. I can't fake it that way. 
And so instead of shying away from it, I'm actually, I actually lose it, use it for my advantage. Uh, and I lead with, with that kind of vulnerability um, uh, to be authentic. And I'll give an example. Five years ago, I was actually in North Korea um, uh, to try and negotiate the release of uh, Otto Wombier, the American student out of Ohio. Um, and, and we were there, uh, and I also tried to bring back uh, remains of U.S. servicemen who have died in the oh, Korean War. thank you, uh, thank you. Amer yeah, Americans don't know the, the extent of it, but there's, there's more than 5,000 uh, remains still there. God. This is, you know, 70 years later. Uh, and so we went there, and this was actually the first time that I was leading the mission, uh, because Governor Richardson, the former governor of New Mexico, who hmm. I worked with, was not able to go on that, on that trip. Um, and in North Korea, as soon as you land, you get picked up by a minder. Um, and my minder, originally, his name was Kim. Um, and, and his job was really like it's to kind of squeeze out of me gently during a car ride everything that I've been authorized to negotiate. Because he has to write a memo to his boss, the foreign minister, to let him know all the parameters. And if he messes this up, it's not about him not getting a promotion. In North Korea, the stakes are really high if you mess up something. Um, and so I kind of I knew that going in, and we're sitting in silence in the car driving in Pyongyang. It was actually in the evening, so it was pretty dark. Um, and after a few seconds of silence, of tense silence, I kind of I looked at him and said, you know, Kim, I'm very nervous. Like, this is the first time I'm actually leading the mission. And if I screw it up, my boss is going to kill me. <laughs> Okay. And he kind of like, he just, he, just, he just looked at me surprised. Obviously, I meant, I didn't mean physically kill me, mm -hmm. but I knew what it will mean to him when I say it. And, and, and he kind of looked at me surprised. So I said, you know, so look, like, tell me what you need from me here. What information you need from me in order to make this mission a success. I need this to succeed. And I know that if, if you came, if you fail, then that means that my mission has failed. And, and so I tied up his success to mine. Um, and, and at that point, he kind of, we almost started collaborating, so there was no longer this, he didn't need to try to pretend like he's trying to get information from me. I just, you know, I just gave it to him, and I didn't need to pretend as if I'm holding information or, or not giving him the right information, because I know I don't have a poker face. And so it's just an example of how, how you do that. And I would say for every single listener, you know, it's, 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 it's so important to, to get to, to figure out, to be comfortable with who you are. Not who you want to be or who you want, how you want others to see you, but really to, to, to know who you are in personality. There are different fun ways of doing that. Um, there's something called Neon ID. You can go, it's like online. They give you like little tests uh, on personalities. It's, you know, about honesty, humility, emotionality, all kinds of things like that. But you collect the data of who you are. You embrace it. You realize that there's no bad or good personalities. And then you lean in that authentically. And that's how you negotiate, that's how you communicate, that's how you lead. Now, Mickey, there, there are people on both edges, of course. There are people when they're going to negotiate, they're way too over the top with demands and, and coarseness and all the rest of it. And then there are other people on the other end of it that are way too shy and retiring to negotiate. Um, other than that, are, is everybody else in the middle pretty decent at it, or are there very few people who know how to negotiate? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I would say, actually, look, both the people on top and the people on the bottom, like it, most, of, most of their challenges is because the people, at least the people at the bottom, they're shy, they're shying away from it. Right. I think they're shying away from it because they have a vision in their mind of what you're supposed to be in order to be a good negotiator. And I'm here to argue that's not the case. 
you can be a fantastic negotiator if you're shy, if you're mm-hmm. if you're hidden behind. It's just that if you if you you just need to to know who you are. Look, uh, President Trump uh, was a you know he's, he has a very very um, a specific negotiation style. Yes, yeah, it would go extreme and then back down. He, right. Well, that's exactly right. He's exactly right. His first move in sitting in a negotiation table is typically to say screw you and walk away from the table. <laughs> and everybody says, oh, he doesn't want the deal. But no, it's his first negotiating stand to walk away because he proves to you on the other side, he doesn't need your deal. Right. And then he, right. he backfiddles slowly to find out just the minimum he needs to give back in order to get a deal. Well, is, isn't there a big difference between people who negotiate to win all the time Versus people who try to get, you know, negotiations aimed at trying to have both sides walk away with some sort of win. Yeah, so that's that, that's again, that's a fantastic point because I, I have uh, in one of the one of to me the most important thing to remind people negotiating. And that's true whether you negotiate for your job, you negotiate with your kids. I have an eight-year-old. Oh my God, it's constant negotiations. <laughs> or if you negotiate, or if you need to negotiate with a dictator, which by the way sometimes your kid feels like a dictator. Yes, <laughs> they do. <laughs> yeah, indeed. It is. It is always, always, always a return game. It's never a one-time game. And yeah. people forget it. And that means that you have to remember sometimes you don't maximize everything you can get in the first round or in, in, in any single round because there'll be another one. Sometimes you want to give some away to make sure that the other side leaves the table feeling good about it too because there will be another round. In my world, there will be another prisoner. In, you know, in my child's world, there will be another cookie to be had. <laughs> and right. you want to kind of keep it, to, to, keep, to keep that and to make sure that the conduct and the tone of the negotiation <laughs> are ones that will last. And so if you go and you burn a bridge, and some people can rebuild bridges, but it takes a lot of energy and a lot of effort to rebuild them. So I would argue, remember, going in, even if you're negotiating for your job, like if you squeeze everything you can and you get the last dollar and the person negotiating with you leaves the negotiations feeling really bad in a year when you go to negotiate a raise, that's going to be there. It's going to hey, you screwed me last year. Right. I'm going to screw you now. Yeah. No, that's exactly well, it. And then it also takes uh, it takes a lot for a person to go into a negotiation with an open mind, even though they've got a back history, you know, and that comes from your own how confident you are in your own position uh in those but but i remember i think it was cuppy that would talk a lot about that uh how he'd go into every negotiation with an open mind even though he had a history with the person and would keep in mind what they'd done in other situations yeah no i I think that's right and 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 a big part of it is is actually emotional intelligence which which I, i kind of talk about it through being, you know, we talked about being aware of who we are, which is a big part of it, and being able to manage our emotions inside the conversation. But then emotional intelligence also talks about your ability to understand genuinely what the emotion state of the other is, and then be able to manage your relationship with that person based on that, on that knowledge. Um, and that, that requires some practice. Um, again, I would argue that high-stake international negotiations and and your negotiations with your neighbor uh, have the same elements. There is the substance work. In international relations, it will be national interest and competing interest. And, uh, but with your, again, with your daughter, it will be whether there's two cookies or three cookies. Beyond the substance, 
there's the emotional layer and the human interaction layer that you have to pay attention to because, boy, it's at least 50% of the deal. Yeah, that does make sense. You know, my favorite negotiation of all time, do you ever see the movie True Romance? I have not. I should watch it. You should watch it, True Romance. <laughs> yeah. uh, Christopher Walken, you know, the great, uh, the great actor Christopher oh, Walken. Christopher Walken. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, he's talking to uh, uh, Dennis uh, Hopper. Hopper, yeah. And he says to Dennis Hopper, you got me in a vendetta kind of mood here, and I got to tell you, uh, <laughs> you need to answer my question or I'll do some damage you won't walk away from. Is that a pretty good negotiation, Mickey? What do you think? For mobsters, yes. Well, I, I, here's the thing. That depends, again, you don't want to do that with your daughter. But when it comes to international relations, it, it is very important to have both the, the bullies and the softies in this, the, the, what they like to refer to as carrots and sticks on this. And very often we fail because, because we pick one or the other. Um, and at the end of the day, if you want somebody to, to move, look, bullies respond to, respond to bullies. So if you know you're going to, to head to negotiate with a bully, you need a bully to be heading the negotiations. Oh. But if you're talking, but if you're, if you're, if you're, you know, if you look at it, actually over just in the last several years of, of our, of the United States international relations, like you could see that, that, that a bully leader uh, gets results from other bullies because they respond to that. But non-bullies resent that, and so the, so it backfires. Um, if we had the diversity, if we have a diversity of personalities in the leading team, and we match up the right way, then you can probably get better results. At least in my in, in my opinion. Uh, but that goes back to, to to your question of you know the the threat that you do, the stick that you put there, is very important, especially because they're stubborn. People don't want to do things they don't want to do. Um, uh, uh, but if you put a stick, but then at the same time, whether through a back channel or through another way, you you also give a, a an opportunity of how you remove that stick or how you even give them a little you know a little candy uh, if they do something you want. You are able to influence their their, their decision making differently. So yes, it's a valid it's a valid tactic. It should not be the only one that exists. Have you seen Oslo? No. Oh, wow, okay. I, I, you're going to give me a Yeah, it was an H HBO movie where they, they it, it's yeah. about the back channels that they used for the negotiations between Palestine and Israel and what oh, yeah. tactics that yeah. were used. You know, primarily it was trying to get people to understand that each side was human. And then also they used food yeah. and they used, you know, being stuck in a room overnight and things like that. It, it's an interesting uh, show just for the negotiations that are involved. Yeah, I'll, t I'll tell you, one of the things, it's, it, here's an example of, of how you engage with people in a meaningful way. And, and uh, obviously, from, 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 from my accent, you can hear I'm Israeli. So I'm very, I'm very close to the Israeli-Palestinian uh, 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 conflict and, and trying to, to resolve it. But let's say you're, you, you go on the, on the subway now to go to work, you commute. By the time you leave the train, the cart, you don't even know who was in the cart with you. There's nothing, you know, you never talk to them, you read your paper, your iPhone, whatever it is, and you leave. But if the train gets stuck in the tunnel and the air condition blows up and it gets really, really sweaty, by the time you leave that car, you know everybody that was around you and their complaints and their life story. Hmm. Because it forces us to complain to each other, but we communicate genuinely when we do that. 
Same goes when a plane, there's a trouble in the plane. Suddenly, you know who sits next to you. Right, um, right. That, that's, to me, is an analogy of that singles and negotiations. Like, you need to almost create a common trouble for people, a common discomfort, like you said, taking food away, or, you know, whatever it is that makes them come together to complain against something else. But the coming together makes them connect in a way that they wouldn't have connected otherwise. We need to take a very quick break, and you can be with us another 10 or 15 minutes. Is that right? 10 minutes? That works oh, for you? I'm happy. I love this. <laughs> I love it more than you do, Mickey. And by the way, congratulations, sir. Mickey Bergman has been nominated for the 2019 Nobel Peace Prize. What do you think wow. of that? Wow. That's impressive. very impressive, Mickey. I, 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 was, to, to, I was nominated with Governor Richardson, and we didn't win. So, you know, but still, yeah. thank you. Yeah, you know, it would have been nice to see a Nobel Prize with a guy with, like named Mickey. Hey, look who won, Mickey. <laughs> I like that. It works for me. We'll be right back more with Mickey Bergman right after this. We're going to find out about Bright right after this. Hello, I'm Brad Huckle, President and Chief Lending Officer at North American Banking Company. And I'm Mike Bilski, CEO at North American Banking Company, Bradley's partner. As a locally owned and operated community bank, we work with a lot of multi-generational, family-owned businesses. Take Raymond Auto Body of St. Paul, for example. Four generations of the Slomkowski family having successfully run the business. When they were ready to expand, we helped them acquire a new building, allowing them to service more vehicles in their state-of-the-art shop. We've also helped them set up the next generation of owners, keeping the business and family for years to come. Tom here. If you want a family business like me or any business, you should be banking with Brad and Mike over at North American Banking Company. I know them and trust them with my banking. Every time I deal with them or their team, I know I'm working with experienced professional bankers. Sounds like we really won you over, Tommy. Well, let's not get crazy, Brad. Seriously. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience member, FDIC, and equal housing lender? As you know, my friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. He didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. Mike created the new Giza Dream bed sheets. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for me, which is crucial for my busy schedule. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. Mike's Giza sheets come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. The first night you sleep on the Giza sheets, you will never want to sleep on anything else. Giza Dream sheets come in a variety of sizes and colors. Mike's making a special offer for my listeners. You buy one set, get another set absolutely free. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and use promo code TOM. There you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. Call 1-800-516-5146. Use the promo code TOM. Go to MyPillow.com. Make sure you use the promo code TOM. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. No matter what Mickey Bergman says about it, he was nominated for the 2019 Nobel Peace Prize. Didn't win, but was nominated. That's a hell of an honor in any case, Mickey. I will tell you that. No doubt about it. I want to hear about Bright. What is Bright all about? So, uh, so Bright is, is, is actually it was recently launched, and it's it's a um, it's a live video conversation platform, um, and you can find out more about it at brightlife.com. But I'm uh, what I love about it, what makes it unique, I think, in my at least for me to to be excited about it, is that it actually brings the global creators and experts and um, within within an intimate 
live setting where everybody can ask questions and, 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 and actually have that conversation with, the, with whoever the presenter is. And it's very, very different than recorded lectures or, or even live lectures because it's, it's limited in the numbers that are there. I've sat on a, on a few of them just as an audience to, feel how it, to see how it feels. And I'm very, very excited to actually uh, be running uh, three sessions there uh, coming up very, very soon. Yeah, that's. Well, I I just like the whole idea. As a matter of fact, people do need a place to go right now, and I don't know if they say that because of COVID and everybody was holed up for a year and a half or whatever it is. But uh, I think it's a great time for Bright. I think the timing for Bright is perfect, don't you? Yeah, I I, I think it's fantastic, and I think it's they, they also have this have such a diversity of types of people and expertise and everything from from light issues to 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 more heavy issues. Um, uh, but it's just one of those things. Again, it's it's not about just listening to somebody and, and tuning up. But it's it actually you actually see yourself on the video stuff. It's it's intimate. It's it, it, you can come onto the stage on the video, virtual stage on this, have a conversation. Um, uh, I look forward. I, I'm I'm going to to try and bring there uh, some of my stories uh, of negotiations with North Korea, which we focused on this talk here, but uh, also Iran and and and, and Venezuela and Myanmar. But again, use them not as just, oh, yeah, here he is talking about high-tech negotiations, but really bringing them down uh, from that uh, into what, how we can actually uh, improve our own personal emotional intelligence. Uh, how do we recognize the cognitive biases that impact every decision we make um, and things like that? So did you meet Kim when you, when you were negotiating with them? Sorry, said that again. I couldn't hear you. Did you meet the chairman, Kim, or when you were negotiating? Oh. <laughs> Well, we were uh, my first visit to North Korea um, uh, back in 2011. Uh, I went with Governor Richardson and with um, uh, Eric Schmidt. Uh, then he was the chairman of, of, of Google. Um, and we, we were supposed to meet uh, Kim. It was actually uh, in his early days there. Um, and while we were in North Korea, unfortunately, the Department of State, when asked about it, uh, uh, referred to our, to our mission as ill-advised. Mm. Um, and so we got a, mission, a, a message from, a, from Chairman Kim at the time to say, hey, I was going to meet you, but uh, State Department seems to be kind of unpleased with your visit. And I, so I don't, you know, I'm looking forward to eventually be able to work with them. So I don't want to, to, to do this. So it, it, we felt like it was close and it went away. Uh, I, haven't met, uh, I haven't met him uh, myself. Huh. Okay. You know, Mickey. By the way, very quickly, kind of off top to, uh, topic, but I just looked at your uh, at, at your uh, page. And if you ever need yeah. a, if you ever get in trouble and need a stunt double, there's a guy in town named Doug Becker could fill in for you, and nobody <laughs> would know it's not you. You look exactly like Doug Becker. So if you ever need a cover, let me know. I, I hope it's a compliment, but yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's he, he, he cuts a fine figure. I bet you Doug would charge pretty a lot to do <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, Doug would probably <laughs> charge a lot to do it, though, because he's a doctor. So, you know, it's going to cost you. But other than that, no, yeah, actually, your smiles are almost identical. So you're probably related somewhere. A nice Jewish boy in America, a nice Israeli boy, you know. So did you ever have any negotiation with Afghanistan at all? Um, I, no, I, I have not. The go Governor Richardson have. I, I have not had uh, negotiations with Afghanistan. We, we did. We were. Um, uh, we stepped in to try and help get some of the people out uh, during this uh, uh, um, uh, the mess that was the withdrawal, uh, and were able to be successful. But we actually did. I did not do it directly with the Afghans. We did it through a, a, a land 
uh, land bridges to neighboring countries. So we worked mainly with the neighboring countries to allow them in, um, and then they and then they went out. Mickey, do you think that most people, nearly everybody, do, do most people have the ability to negotiate, or are there some people that just don't have it in them to get it done? Um, I, 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 th- I think that that most people have the ability to negotiate, uh, but it does. But for some personalities, it comes naturally. Some people really need to work hard in preparing for sure. it, and that means that they need to be willing uh, uh, to do things that they're not necessarily comfortable uh, doing, even if they're genuine to their to their personality. I, I would say it, it, it would be very very rare. You know, I, I'll make a side comment. One of the people that I really love working with, uh, uh, not directly in negotiations, but in all of this analysis, uh, his name is uh, Galen uh, Backwater. And he was the, uh, the chief scientist uh, for um, uh, um, uh, eHarmony when they started. Oh, and he yeah. was working on basically the algorithms of matching up personalities and, and, and getting that. And, and, and we spent a lot of time uh, um, uh, with him because he helps me on research at Georgetown. A uh, fantastic guy. And, and, and he talks a lot about how you do, what happens when you put, put a personality test and there's no match to that personality. <laughs> Meaning, like, you know, I'm sorry, mister, but your personality is not compatible with being with anybody else within a relationship. Like, how do you communicate with somebody? Um, so, you know, so they, they, they had to find different ways. So there are rare occasions in which there's personality completely mismatched. Um, uh, uh, and in negotiations, I would argue that even in extreme cases, if the person is willing to work on it and lean in with who they are, they're still they can still have a pretty good negotiating strategy for their job or or, or, or otherwise. Well, Mickey, I, I need to ask you, that, and I'm not trying to take a shot at anybody here or a generation of people certainly, but things have gotten different with. Uh, with Generation Z, I guess is what it is. What's right right after Millennials again? Is that Z? Yep. Yeah. It is Z. They don't spend a whole lot of time on history because I don't think our schools teach history anymore, so they don't know anything about it. Uh, as a matter of fact, there, there was a young woman. She looked to be about probably 25. Uh, I don't know if she was 25. So let's say she was somewhere between 22 and 28, somewhere in there, right? And she was asked a question. She had never heard of the Beatles now, how could you be a negotiator and not know world history at all? Because the Beatles are a pretty big part of world history, and certainly getting the billions of dollars flowing back into England they needed just 20 years after World War II, you'd think that she would know something about the Beatles, but she had never even heard of them. Is there a lack of, of research and study because we don't teach history in school anymore? Do people just Have they given up on even doing that? I, I, I will tell you, I think you... You absolutely cannot be good at negotiating, and to be honest, right. be good in much if you actually don't understand, know, spend time on history. Um, understanding, like I know it's a cliche. You're going to if you don't know history, you're, you you know you're destined to repeat it. Mm-hmm. Oh God, like we, we we repeated mistakes in 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 the Afghanistan withdrawal that that were learned before. I, I, being Israeli now speaking, I, I was in the Israeli. Uh, forces when um, I was an officer there, when uh, when the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, withdrew from South Lebanon, and yes, Israel is everything is very little, smaller scale than than the United States, uh, but there are similarities in the withdrawal. It's after 20 years of occupation, 
in South Lebanon that Israel withdrew. There was a decision by uh, by the leader of the country, by the prime minister at the time, announced publicly that we're going to withdraw in advance of it, like four months in advance. Um, and I was I was I was an officer inside South Lebanon. I worked with the South Lebanese Army, which is the army that the IDF trained and armed uh, and collaborated with us for all these years. And we could see how everything was changing immediately, because at the end, of, immediately when that announcement was was done, every single family in South Lebanon had to ask themselves the question: When you, the Israelis, leave here in four months, uh, who's going to be in charge? And if the answer was Hezbollah, as it was clear to everybody, then they now had a ticking t- clock, mm-hmm. four months, to prove their loyalty to Hezbollah in order to spare their lives. Yeah. And the way to prove that loyalty is to turn their weapons around. And so we spiraled so quickly into a dynamic in which our allies, the people we trained, the people we armed, not because they suddenly became bad people, but they needed to save their own lives had turned against us. And that created a spiral. It made, it made our, our, the Israeli withdrawal from Sullivan on messy. It came in earlier than we expected. And when we left, we left equipment, we left people. It was a mess. That was the Israeli experience. That was in 2001. <clears throat> 20 years later, um, uh, we announced the withdrawal from, from Afghanistan, um, uh, expecting the Afghan army that we worked with hold 30 days, 90 days, whatever the estimate was, the ultimate answer was, at some point, Taliban will take over. That was the assumption. That meant that every single Afghan there had to ask the same question as the Lebanese asked in my my experience and say, well, you know, we need to actually, we have this limited time now to prove loyalty to the Taliban so they don't kill us. Not because we hate Americans, because we want to survive. Therefore, they pick up the phone, they call whoever contact they have and say, hey, I have some ammunition, I have some training, I'll join you. So no shot was fired, but the, the, the takeover was immediate. And, and that should have been, again, if we learn from history, it should have been something that we could have seen. Ooh. And if you, if, if you figure that in advance, you can change your plans accordingly. Right. Sorry, I'm, the, I'm, but, I'm, going, I, I'm just going on a, on a tangent here because no, of the I question, but... Obviously, I feel, I feel very passionate about it. I love it. But can you, I mean, is there something you can look back in history and say, yeah, this withdrawal was done right, um, and, um, you know, there's somebody to negotiate to make the withdrawal work? I mean, there are probably a couple comparisons, but like Germany or, or Japan, I mean, they were destroyed as a country. So when the withdrawals happened, it was, there wasn't much left. Yeah. Um, is there any, I mean, do you think there's an example out there that you could use or that, or someone you could negotiate with to make any of those withdrawals better? Yeah, I, I, I would say I would say a couple of things. First of all, I, 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 I want to make sure that I don't sound like a big a-hole. Uh, <laughs> what I said. So, because here's the thing, like nobody had a bad intention in this. Um, uh, and the truth is that no matter how great the plan would have been, it still would have been messy. Uh, because you you still have a lot of armed spoilers there uh, who want to really uh, implode that. So even if we had done it differently and there was a you know the 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 uh, the gateway out of the country would have been an airbase in the in desert, not inside uh, um, uh, Kabul, uh, there still would have been a suicide bomber going in and blowing it up. Like it still would have happened. It still would have been messy. 
I argue that it just would have been a little bit less messy. Well, we had the, the, the ability to do that. So it's, I'm trying not to be, again, like, the, like, you know, Monday morning quarterback looking back and, and say, oh, yeah, no, this is how you're supposed to do it. Like, I know it's messy. I know we all make mistakes all the time. Uh, what's painful is when, when, we, when we don't learn uh, from, from history, going back to your point of, like, if, 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 if you are about to do a withdrawal, let's look at all of the recent withdrawals in the last couple of decades and see what happened in them. And, and spend again, go back to my negotiating on the emotional intelligence, spend some time thinking as Afghans here and, and what, what the choices that they had to make in front of them based on, our, on, on the U.S. decision to, to leave, which, by the way, I supported and I still support. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, so so to, to answer your question, are there, I need to think about withdrawals. Obviously, the withdrawals that work um, a clean, the cleanest way are withdrawals that are made uh, in a bilateral agreement with the people that actually have the ability to, to control the other side. Um, uh, and that, that happened Israel, Israel, Egypt in 79. These treaty withdrawal from Sinai Desert significant, including Israeli population that had to be removed. And that, that, went, that went pretty well. There, there are probably examples, not many. Um, uh, again, nothing would be clean and, and without any casualties because there's unfortunately enough people that want to kill people in this, uh, but there's ways to mitigate it. Mickey, I won't do it to you on this trip, but I'd love to have you back. Uh, I'd like to talk to you on a regular basis about this because I think you have a very clear understanding of what negotiation is about. But I'll, I'll throw the question. You don't have to answer it now, and if you don't want to answer it ever, that's fine. But I, I got to be honest with you. I'm, I grew up uh, in Minneapolis in a Catholic, black, and Jewish neighborhood. I remember as a little boy going to visit my friends, and uh, their grandparents would have tattoos on their arms, and I asked about that and talked about you know. And now all of a sudden, 50 years later, 60 years later, whatever it is, um, now we have American politicians who are anti-Israel. How did we get here? I, and you don't even have to answer that, Mickey. I just don't understand how we ever got here in only 50 years. I, I don't get it. Yeah, I, I, well, that's, first of all, I would be happy to come back and talk as, as much as you guys want. Um, uh, but being, look, being Israeli, and, 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 uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm an Israeli that believes in, in a two-state solution be, uh, on the, between Israel and Palestine. Mm -hmm. I believe it. I was initially motivated by that when I was in the military and realized that that is the best thing for Israel's long-term uh, security and, and, and future as a Jewish democratic state that it's needed. Um, I then, through my work, got to know a lot of Palestinians um, and, and started realizing that, uh, that what I was told and thought about them is not always true as well. Right, right. Um, and, and people, and, and I think you mentioned in, the, in passing before, that one of the things that were happening to the Israelis Palestinians is the needing to needing to the two communities to be able to see that they're actually a mirror of each other, right? In many right. many ways, um, uh, and and that that's across. Now, what happens? What happened here in the United States politically uh, on this? It's a long conversation, but I think there's been a a move in which, just like in Israel, the word the word peace itself became politicized, yeah, almost to the extent that that if you now say I'm for peace boxes you somewhere in an anti-Israel, you know, Palestinian hugger uh -huh. kind of box. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for me when I get, I get blamed. I mean, I served for six years in the Israeli defense forces. 
um, in a combat unit. I actually got injured in combat slightly. Um, and somebody in the United States, a young kid, will come and say, oh, yeah, you're, you're an Israeli hater. It's like, really? <laughs> um, it, I, I, I kid you not, it, it happens more than often than you think. Um, and um, But part of it is the politicization of it. And, and it just, it, it, Israel, for some reason, is becoming more and more of a partisan issue in the United States. Yes. And that is the strategic stake for Israel, for the United States. And I think it, it has to be reversed. And it, it's not going to be easy because it's, it's, it's so easy to, to throw slogans and to make demonized people all around um, uh, uh, on this. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, Israel and the United States are best friends, um, uh, 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 not because of a, a, a certain policy or another, but because of values. At the basis of the values uh, uh, that we share, uh, that the United States and Israel share, and sometimes the policies don't align with those with those values. And what needs to change is the policy, not the values. Well, uh, if I ever see the uh, the Spanish bartender railing on you again, Mickey, I'll give her a call. <laughs> I, I, Mickey, you got to come back, man. I love talking to you. Just listen to you talk. But I just seriously, it just I, I would close with this that there was a 10, 15-year-old boy back there. And if I look back at when I was 10 or 15 years old, and you would tell me that 50, 55 years later that I'd be hearing how horrible Israel is, I would have never believed it for one minute. I can't believe it's happening. I think he got cut off. He had to go. Oh. Oh, oh he was there. He was there still. You had him. Yeah. He tried to answer. Oh, 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 now he's gone. That's all right. Hey, hey, I thought he was terrific. He was really good. A really, really hot. Did, did Art set that up, Andy? Yep. God, that was. He was a great guest. Does that surprise you? It, it really, literally shocks me that people are anti-Israel in America. Now. Well, but people have always. There's always been a group that's anti-Israel. Yeah, a group, mm-hmm. but they're right. not the politicians coming right up going. We need to get rid of Israel, oh, like but, AOC and people like that. Well, you're talking. Yeah, you're talking about a group that's in Congress now. Yep. Um, yep. And you know they have the position they do based upon their own backgrounds. Um, and the people they they impartial represent. Um, it's it's an interesting thing because you know his response was that when you look at peace, there's a certain element that that thinks you're opposed to either side if you're trying yeah. to get peace there. Yeah, well, that's um, true. Yeah, and I I don't know. Um, part of that has always existed. Um, and I mean, when you go to the the numbers, those numbers are based upon that element existing with power in Germany. Right, you right. Yes. So, yeah, uh, it's a, I don't know. That's that's a weird puzzle on what to do there. I mean, really for Israel to be me. sitting in the middle of the Middle East has always I been, know. you know, how do you how do you come to peace there? And uh, and then this whole discussion about Afghanistan, you know, that he was talking about. Uh, you know, uh, Biden Biden was a proponent of getting out of Afghanistan during the Obama, during the Obama administration, and. Um, uh, one of the interesting they had Gates last night on 60 Minutes, and one of the things he talked about is how him and Biden used to fight about Afghanistan back then, because uh, Biden wanted to get out then. Um, the 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 real to me the real telling question was they asked him, what do you tell families? Because he's penned uh, tons of letters to soldiers that have died. What do you right. tell families about you know Afghanistan now that we've drawn? And his response was that their mission was accomplished. That there's been no attack on American soil since we w- went into Afghanistan um, by 
by outside agitators. I guess there's an argument about what's happened inside the country, but right. but there has ne- had not been any foreign attacks, so that they were successful in what they did. Um, I don't know. It's uh, it, it's still a mess over there. Yeah, is it always going to be? Yeah, I don't know. It, it, I mean, did, it, it did make me laugh a little bit that there's people who'd sit at home and then make a phone call to Hezbollah or make a phone call to uh, <laughs> to the Taliban and say, oh, we're switching teams. We're coming over to your side today. So, Jesus, I just looked at some. <clears throat> we only got about a minute uh, here, two minutes maybe. Uh, ben Affleck and Matt Damon have some problems. Did what do they got now? Yes, they do. They have a movie that came out, Andy. What's the name of the movie? But I don't the, know. I'm just saying the, in general. Oh, just in general. The medieval <laughs> one? The one that's just out right now? The medieval one? Is that what it is? It just came out. Yeah. Medieval. Yeah. It's a, it, is it, that like it, the last frontier? The, no, it's the last, last duel. Last, last duel. duel. There yeah, it's about the rape of the woman and the, the fighting over her honor. Do you see the box office for it? Oh, it's not good. Well, four million. I haven't even heard yeah. of this movie. No, so. no I haven't. It's had a lot of, it's had a lot of commercials. I mean, they've, yeah, they've yeah, promoted yeah. the oh, heck really? out of it. Oh, yeah. not heard I feel like right now there's not really a lot of great movies. Polish people theater. not going to the movies. Yeah. yeah. Halloween Kills is supposed to be terrible, by the way. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a Halloween sequel. It's going to be They're bad is like the name of the game. People yeah, are expecting well, bad. Jamie Lee's not in it very long. Yeah, she's not in it very long. We should have kept Mickey on. There's a movie out now called Bergman Island. Mm. Uh, what do you think of that? Actually? Who did you bring up the other day? Um, the the w- woman who was in the first uh, in the first uh, um, Halloween movie. Um, somebody complained when she. Oh, Betsy Palmer. Be- Betsy Palmer. <laughs> it was yeah. Betsy Palmer. That was in Friday the Thirteenth. <laughs> oh, that's and right. My buddy that's Steve right. Elliott. That Halloween. A nice Jewish boy from from Detroit. We're watching a movie, and she takes off the hockey mask, and he goes. Oh my God! It's Betsy Palmer. <laughs> How frightening! Yeah, Betsy Palmer was the was she was the killer in the first one. Like mm-hmm. really, we got to take a break. That first hour went by, man. We got to get Mickey Bergman on more. I he was very good. Was and really a lot of things. What what I would love to know is how many negotiations exist out there that we never hear about. Oh, yeah. oh, that yeah. you know, like that suddenly you know somebody right. you know decides you know the president decides to call I don't know whoever it is and they have a little discussion but it doesn't go anywhere. You know, <laughs> indeed. All right, we'll take a break. Be back in just a couple of minutes, ladies and gentlemen.